Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. iConnections is the world's largest capital introduction platform in the alternative investment industry. iConnections membership only platform brings together the asset management community, providing allocators and managers with the opportunity to connect both physically and virtually. With an impressive network of over 4,000 allocators and 900 managers, their community oversees an astounding $48 trillion and $16 trillion in assets, respectively. iConnections is also the driving force behind the alternative investment industry's most renowned in-person events. We invite you to join iConnections at their upcoming event, Salt iConnections in New York, taking place on May 20th through the 21st at the Glass House in New York City. This two-day event is packed with one-on-one cap intro meetings and content. To explore more about iConnections events and gain access to their members-only platform, visit iConnections.io. Hit your money goals without switching platforms. Download SoFi's all-in-one super app for industry-leading APY. Great loan rates and stock trading. SoFi, get your money right. Banking products and loans offered by SoFi Bank, NANMLS 696891. Brokerage and active investing products offered through SoFi Securities, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. Welcome to the Monday edition of On the Tape. I'm Dan Nathan, joined as always by Guy C. Adami. You can guess what the C stands for. And of course, Liz Young. That would be EY from SoFi. She is the head market strategist over there at SoFi, where you can get all of your money right in what, Guy? You get all your money right all in one app. One application, a guy yeah. will, will jackass it over to the uh, app store and maybe buy one of those. Well, it's funny you say that because we had a lot of rain in the New York metropolitan yeah. area this weekend, and the application store that I go to was actually closed. First time it's happened in quite some A time little flooding in your app store. They had to debug yeah. that thing. Liz, <laughs> good, good to have you here in studio. How about that? We're going to do what guys sometimes likes to call a hot 30, right? We, we got sure. 30 on the clock here. We're going to rip through it. We're going to go through a whole host of things that are going on in the market. Markets uh, over the weekend. It's a pretty interesting weekend. A lot of anxiety over what or what might not happen to the government and their employees and their debts and a whole host of other things. But crisis averted. We're going to hit that. We're going to talk about recession warnings. We're going to talk about the equity risk premium that our good friend Rosie David Rosenberg and our friend Doug Cass has been talking a whole heck of a lot about of late here and, and a few other things we're focused on this week. First, a little housekeeping though. Guy, you, Carter, and I did a very special market call Friday afternoon. We were focused on three. ETF. So it would be the TLT, the XLE, and the UUP. We're focused on rates energy and the U.S. dollar and how we think that those might be a defining factor for Q4 and for equities in general. And we did three trades in options. It's on our Risk Reversal Media YouTube channel, and they're all still relevant right now. So people go check it out at YouTube, Risk Reversal Media. Follow us there. Watch the video. Take a look at the trades. We'd love to get your feedback on them. We're going to be doing more of those sorts of trade ideas. We do them with futures on the Tuesday market call for the CME. We're going to be doing them more and more with options. So check that out and you know where to hit us. Contact at riskreversal.com for any feedback. 
and obviously follow that channel. All right, guys, let's talk to a crisis averted. No government shutdown. 45-day stopgap. We just kicked the can down the road with everything right here. The situation that Speaker McCarthy of the House with that negotiation, which went down to the wire, but he gets something done here. He's in a fairly precarious position. He could be out very soon, and we could be finding ourselves in 45 days in the same sort of thing. My question to you, guys, was the stock market and and certain fear gauges, if you will, were they pricing in the potential for a shutdown? Because Friday afternoon, it really felt like that's where we were going, but the stock market wasn't at all panicked. We did sell off late in the day, but it wasn't like 20 plus readings in the VIX. I don't think so. And I've said for a few weeks prior that I don't think the market was pricing in the potential for that to happen. I thought they'd push it to the 11th hour. I thought there'd be a lot of rhetoric. I actually, be honest with you, I, I thought it would actually last a couple days and then they would sort of reconcile it, just push the envelope, but they got it done. But to answer your question, I don't think the sell-off we've seen in the market over the last couple of weeks was at all predicated on this government shutdown. It's hard to prove that, obviously, but I don't think that's what it was. There are other factors at work here. With that said, 45 days later, and that comes really quickly, we're going to find ourselves right at the forefront of this again. And quite frankly, I don't think anything will be done in the interim. And that will take us, by the way, and I hate the term, but it'll take us right up to holiday season. So I'm sure people will be thrilled about that. No, the government doesn't seem to work. The only thing more embarrassing this weekend was NBC's open last night for the football game where they explained to people that had never seen a football game before (laughs) who Travis Kelsey was and who the Packers were. That was an absolute embarrassment. But we'll save that for the radio show. What will we, Liz? Uh, I I missed that because the Packers played on Thursday this week and I was busy last night doing other things. Also, I did see that the Jets were in a, a world of hurt. I turned that game off pretty quickly. Too. They, they what do you mean they, explain, they explained who the Green Bay Packers were? So that Carson Daly gentleman was, <laughs> I guess him. he's on a show called The Voice or yeah. one of the, I don't know. They're all the same show. Prior to kickoff, he was on the set of The Voice with his compatriots, and he decided that for the, and I can't even believe I'm going to use this term, but I'll use it, for the Swifties out there who wouldn't be able to identify uh, a football if it hit them in the face, who Travis Kelsey was and who Patrick Mahomes was and who the Kansas City Chiefs were and those types of things. It was an abject embarrassment. Mm. The fact that they kowtow to this person to me is just insulting. Anyway, so Yeah, but Liz, the, the split screen between the two boxes with T-Swizzle, with Ryan Reynolds, Blake Lively, they're all like yucking it up there. And then you go and Aaron Rodgers. And I felt for him, especially with that mustache. It's not even Movember yet. You know what I mean? His yeah. leg up and everything like that. Your yeah. guy is not doing great. When did he become my guy? No, I don't know. He was your guy <laughs> for all those years in Green Bay. All right, Liz, let's talk about this, though. So, you know, Friday afternoon, late day sell-off. Overnight, the futures were up and now we're approaching the open here and they're down, let's say, 20 basis points are probably 1% off the highs. Today is October 2nd. We know that kind of new money phenomena, especially after a really hard September. Thoughts on the initial enthusiasm? And again, the overnight sessions, a bit of a fugazi. We're, we're basically, folks are selling them off here and, and it'll be interesting to see what the week or how it plays out if we have more of the last two weeks. What are your thoughts here on that initial enthusiasm waning? First of all, it's October 2nd. It's my sister's birthday oh, today. Shout out. Shout out to Samantha. Some of the enthusiasm that I think we saw last night when futures opened was silly, in my opinion. I would Mm -hmm. like to use a stronger (laughs) word, but this is a family program. (laughs) It was silly because it was as if, okay, we averted a shutdown and we're supposed to give the government some kind of trophy because they didn't shut down, which is ridiculous, right? So I think giving that back because that enthusiasm wasn't really warranted, giving that back 
Now, again, we're not down that much in the futures right now. But I think part of this, and I agree with Guy, I do not think that the recent sell-off had anything really to do with the government shutdown. I think that was just a notch on the wall of worry that we talk about, something that could have come in and made things worse. But it didn't, luckily. The sell-off, I think, still has momentum to the downside. And there's still appetite to sell because of the weakness that now has shown up. The piece that I wrote last week, and, and I know we did Market Call live Yeah, we did. Stage. That was fun. It was. Yeah, Zeta Live, baby. So we didn't really talk about the piece much, so I'll talk about it now. It was called Paper Cuts, and it was about the weakness that's happening under the surface. Mm -hmm. So it's we, have, we don't have a thousand cuts yet, but we have enough that it's a nagging pain and it's annoying. You've got 50-day moving average rolling over. You've got number of stocks trading above their 200-day going down by the day. You've got the relative strength indices, the number of stocks that are trading under 30 RSI going up by the day, right? So there's just this sort of quiet weakness that keeps going on and investors see it. We know it's there. We're also at that point now where we're not sure if we're done with the hiking cycle. Yep. We're probably done with the hiking cycle, but if we're not, we only we only likely get one more and that's it. But, but now that, we but have can to I, sit can and I just push back and, and I think Guy might might actually have something to say here too. So that is the consensus. If you look at the CME Fed funds tracker, it's less than 20% chance at the November meeting that there's a 25 basis point hike. But to Guy's point, and, and I give him credit because I've been pushing back on him about this, is that if we do see these CPI readings continue to go higher in, in, in commodities and like, like that consensus mm -hmm. that we're closer to the end of rate hikes versus it is going to go out the window and therefore, so what does that mean for equities? And we're going to talk a little bit about equity risk premium, like, like I mentioned. But like to me, that's a really bad scenario if that's what the consensus is right now. Let me just quick finish the thought here. Some of the stuff that I mentioned, those little indicators that are showing weakness, they also show that we're not nearly washed out. We haven't even gotten into correction territory. We're not in oversold conditions. The, that's why I say the momentum is still to the downside. We needed a correction to get valuations back to where they should be. Equity risk premiums still way out of whack. But to get valuations back to a more reasonable place, given where yields have gone, we needed it. But it's not over yet. We didn't really even correct yet. So there's, I think there's more to come. It's interesting. People, it's, it's so funny. The market sells off for two days and the choruses of the market is oversold, oversold conditions are as loud as possible. The market go up for a month straight, literally, and you never hear the term overbought. It's just so funny how people's, just the psychology of the whole thing changed. And it's real quickly about paper cuts. I've snapped fingers. I've cracked ribs. I've broken toes. I've had things, I've had all kinds of separated shoulders, ruptured appendix. In Wisconsin. I got to tell you something. <laughs> Paper cuts are more painful than all that stuff put together. It's, it's incredible. You wouldn't think it'd be that painful. It's like, ow. Sorry. Well, that's a you. death by a thousand cuts. That's where the expression comes from. Yep. It's not fun, I yep. guess. Guy, our main man, Carter Braxton Worth, had a note out yesterday, and he's doing his thing as usual, just brilliant. And the, and the title was Tedious, Wearisome, Exhausting. And, and then actually, mm -hmm. trying, tiring, annoying, draining, exasperating, <laughs> exasperating, maddening, vexing, and galling, and lousy. And then he says, the end of Q2 2021 to the end of Q3 2023, we are unchanged in the S&P, and we'll throw that... 
We'll throw that note or a screenshot of that in, in the show notes here. And it's interesting because, you know, that low from last week when we had that reversal, I think it was Wednesday, I think it was like 4220, which was the exact level guy of the June 1 breakout. We had been talking about that consolidation just below 4200 for for April and May, and we got that breakout. So we've round tripped that. The 200-day moving average, which has been rising, um, but it's flattening out at 4200. What do you make of that? Carter's going back two years. We are unched, okay? But now we're back to that breakout level on a short-term basis here. And it really feels like for the first time in a while, that 4100, 4000 could be in the cards in the S&P. Yeah, it's interesting where we bounced from last week. I think the low we got down to was 42.35, and then we bounced pretty significantly around 2 p.m. on that day, and obviously the market then built on it the next day. So we traded down to technical support levels. It makes sense. But Amplify Carter's note, is what's interesting is bulls have think they've had it right. Bears have think they've had it right over the last couple of years. The reality is you've gone back and forth in this giant tennis match and nobody's won a damn thing yet. I do think we're at a point now where the bears hold the upper hand. It just feels as though there's some vulnerability here. I think to Liz's point, interest rates have gotten people's attention up correctly. So again, I don't think the sell-off last week, the last couple of weeks was predicated on any government shutdown. So oddly enough, fundamentals for the first time in a while are starting to matter. I mean, I would submit, you know, some of the moves we sort of the upside had nothing to do with fundamentals, but typically when you see moves to the downside is when fundamentals kick in. Yeah. And we're going to spend a lot of time over the next few weeks on on Q3 earnings. That's going to be the story. So getting back to fundamentals, but Liz, I guess what's different now with the S&P unchanged on from those 2021 levels is that we have a 10 year at 463. We have crude oil at 90 bucks. We have the, the Dixie index at 106 and a half right now. And those things don't appear to be abating. And so if you're talking about late cycle, okay, for the economy, if you're talking about companies that have pushed through as much of the cost, the higher input costs as they can towards consumers, and we've hit peak, let's say, margins for these companies, that means under all those circumstances, to Guy's point, valuation for the first time in maybe a year becomes an issue. And let's be clear, 2022 was a valuation reset many parts of the market. And I love your note because I did read it last Thursday. I know we didn't talk about it, but these have been things that Danny Guy and I have been talking about for a while and with you on Market Call and the like here is that all of a sudden, okay, here we are now and it feels a lot like late 2021 where a lot of folks were just looking at the strength of the economy and a stock market that was making new highs seemingly every day. But under the surface, there was a lot of bad action and a lot of risk assets that kind of get people like us who've who've traded or invested through different cycles, it gets our antennas up. Yeah, a rising market can mask a lot of things. And to the average investor, and to the average consumer through summer as the market went up and inflation went down, people felt great, still employed. They think costs are coming down, prices are coming down. In reality, they aren't, right? They just stopped growing as quickly. Well, the headline CPI is down, but year over year, your costs are still up. Still up And, and up over the last 12 to 18 months considerably. And wage growth has not kept up with that. Real incomes are down and borrowing is up. So people are more indebted. Their dollars are worth less, right? Costs have not necessarily come down. And then you look at even some of the most bullish investors have a hard time getting on board with a 9 to 10% year-over-year earnings growth number for 2024. So margins do have to get hit. And I asked somebody this, there's a reasonably bullish investor who shall remain unnamed, but I asked them because they had just made a statement about margins expanding and some names that they really liked in 2024. And I I said off the record, you must believe then that there's cost cutting coming because we can't, first of all, we can't 
assume that pricing power is going to continue and they can pass it through and revenues are going to grow that way. So you must believe cost cutting is coming. And they said, yes, I do. In the form of labor cuts, it's already actually begun little by little, but it will probably accelerate into early 2024. So it has to happen, right? So even if margins get maintained, the news story will be that jobs are falling or that unemployment is rising. Because in order to maintain margins, that's what is probably going to have to happen in a lot of these companies. And what sectors, I mean, specifically, we spent some time talking about consumer staples last week. I mean, is this one of the areas where you would expect? Staples, industrials. Here's the thing about industrials, too. So staples companies we're all familiar with. We talk about them all the time. Industrials companies, although we are not a manufacturing heavy economy like we once were, but if you get a headline out that deer cut a bunch of jobs or Mm -hmm. that some big industrial conglomerate cut a bunch of jobs and we were surprised about it, that still gets into everybody's psyche. It's, whoa, whoa, that company that I thought was rock solid, that is the bedrock of the American economy, can't keep jobs, then we're in trouble, right? And then you see the knock-on effects. If you believe all these things, by definition, that has to start to happen. Now, the bulls will say, I think, that we need a little higher unemployment rate, cool things down. But within that belief system is the thought that somehow it will stop when it gets to a certain level, which is not going to happen. And I think I happen to think people are going to be surprised how quickly we go from the current unemployment rate, which is whatever the hell it is, 3.7 to a four and a half handle. I think that can happen a lot faster. And I think the headline of that is going to correctly spook some people. I agree. And if the market is a discounting mechanism, that's what this kind of sell off of seven and a half percent in the S&P from the highs might start telling us a little bit. And we just mentioned earnings. And I think it was a really interesting note. We've been talking about this. I feel like for weeks now, we've been talking about the underperformance in bank stocks in the Wall Street Journal. This morning, though, there is a note rising rates likely to hit banks balance sheets in a quarter. We talked about Jamie's crying over the last couple of weeks. Jamie Dimon is going to highlight at least his tone suggests that Q3 or whatever they have to say about the current environment is not particularly great. And I just think that this is the point, and we made this again and again, but I'm glad that it's in the journal this morning. A surge in interest rates likely worsen unrealized losses on bonds and loans held by U.S. banks in the third quarter, further straining their balance sheets as they face pressure to pay more to keep deposits. Okay. And we also know that we've spent some time talking about the IPO window that seemingly reopened, and that would be good for some of these investment banks and the like. And there's been a little bit of M&A here and there, whatever, but the activity is not great and it's not likely to pick up. There's a small window for M&A. There's a small window for IPOs. So if some of these major money center banks are contending with these kind of mark-to-market held to maturity losses here at a time where delinquencies are going up and the reserves are going to go up for those delinquencies, this is not a great risk-taking environment for banks when they have to pay more to keep deposits, right? So Liz, talk to me about banks because I'm just hard-pressed to think. Guy's been talking about the regional banks. We've been looking at the price action in Schwab, which is down like 20% in the last two months. This was one that was, I, I, I think, a holdover from the regional banking crisis that had been acting very poorly. I really feel like banks are going to set a very negative tone for Q3 earnings season in the next couple of weeks. I don't know that we're going to get it yet. I don't know that it's going to come out in Q3 earnings, maybe after that. And I think the one thing, and, and let me be clear, I'm not bullish on financials. I'm not saying that this is a time that you put all your money into financials. I think that we need to wait this out a little longer. But the the thing that we have going for us in financials is that if it comes out that there is a bigger problem, the, the regional bank crisis was saved, not solved. If it comes out that there is a bigger problem or lingering issues or that commercial real estate becomes a blow up issue, that none of that's going to be a surprise. So we already know some of these risks. These won't be 
out of left field black swan events that suddenly there's a regional banking issue. The mark to market thing is probably not going away anytime soon, especially given where treasuries are. And to your point, the more that they are competing for deposits, the more that they're trying to lend, the more reserves that they're required to hold. Those reserves are required to be held in certain types of securities. The mark to market thing just gets worse and worse, right? So we understand the math of that. I think it it is a positive that we already know it's happening. I want to go back, and this doesn't necessarily have to do with financials, but I want to go back to the unemployment thing just for a second and say, if you're hanging on the economic strength, first of all, the the indicators showing economic strength are getting less and less, right? Financials aren't necessarily a, a macro indicator of economic strength, but they are one of the most sensitive sectors, particularly at a time when we're worried about monetary policy and financial conditions taking us into a contraction. So banks are going to be uh, much more sensitive to that. But that macro indicator of unemployment that we're all staring at constantly or the arguments that you hear about, it's at lows, right? Unemployment is still at lows. This is going to sound sarcastic and, and smug. I don't really mean it that way. Pull up a long-term chart of the unemployment rate. Guess when it hits lows? Right before it spikes up, right? You don't see the unemployment rate hit a low and then chug along at a low for years. It hits a low, we pull the rubber band back, and then it snaps higher every single time. So you have to keep that in mind. Saying something like the unemployment rate is at a low or at a cycle low or at a decade-long low is not actually a good thing. Yeah. And guy, you just said it. 3.7 could be four and a half like that. And, and if you think the stock market's still going to be 4280, to Carter's note, when we're nearing that like nice round number, that's not happening. I don't think so. And listen, you know, my belief, the same way the Fed thought they could control inflation, which obviously they proved they could not control, is the same way they probably think they can control the unemployment rate vis-a-vis -vis these rate hikes, thinking that, okay, we need it to go higher. And I understand that need, but to think they could stop it at four and a half or five percent, I think is folly. And just to go back to banks real quick, between Citibank and Bank of America, you're talking about close to $350 billion worth of market cap. And I'm cherry picking without question, but both those stocks are at critical levels. Citigroup or Citibank, whatever the hell they call themselves <laughs> now, that $40 level is a line in the sand. I got to tell you something, huge support. And Bank of America the same way, only a different handle. You're talking about a 26 handle with a stock currently trading about $27.20 is a critical support level. You break down through that and it's amazing. You're going to start talking about levels we last saw in the spring of 2020. And I think yeah. we all remember that. Those two banks specifically, I think, are, have been telling a story that the market just doesn't want to listen to. I think it goes back to that the, the kind of their treasury portfolio and, and the mark to market losses. And, and again, brings me back to kind of 2008. And I don't mean to suggest that we are on the cusp of a 2008 sort of bank led meltdown, but we talked about it back in March. It was interesting where the Bear Stearns thing happened in early March. It looked like it was ring fenced, right? The stock market, I think the S&P rallied at least 10% into the spring guy. If you recall, some of the banks even rallied back. And then the summer turned into an absolute disaster based on many of the things that took Bear Stearns down. When you think about how SVB and Signature and a handful of these banks were tidily taken care of, you had some, you know, the backstop of deposits by the treasury and the feds were in there and that sort of thing. I don't know. It, it really feels if October doesn't get off to a good start after a miserable September, we might be talking about this a lot as we get into bank earnings.
With CME Group's micro-sized futures and options, you can access the same transparency and liquidity of the benchmark contracts with less upfront financial commitment. Diversify your portfolio and manage your exposure with the flexibility of CME Group micro-contracts in crypto, metals, FX, energy, and equity indices. Learn more about what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash micros. iConnections is the world's largest capital introduction platform in the alternative investment industry. iConnections membership only platform brings together the asset management community, providing allocators and managers with the opportunity to connect both physically and virtually. With an impressive network of over 4,000 allocators and 900 managers, their community oversees an astounding $48 trillion and $16 trillion in assets, respectively. iConnections is also the driving force behind the alternative investment industry's most renowned in-person events. We invite you to join iConnections at their upcoming event, Salt iConnections in New York, taking place on May 20th through the 21st at the Glass House in New York City. This two-day event is packed with one-on-one cap intro meetings and content. To explore more about iConnections events and gain access to their members-only platform, visit iConnections.io. SoFi, the all-in-one super app for banking, borrowing, and investing. Earn industry-leading APY, get great loan rates, and trade stocks. SoFi, get your money right. Banking products and loans offered by SoFi Bank N.A., NMLS 696891. Brokerage and active investing products offered through SoFi Securities, LLC, member FINRA SIPC. I kind of highlighted David Rosenberg's piece um, in his Mornings with Dave this morning at Rosenberg Research. He said, there are many reasons we have a bond bullish view. And just so you know, I do also a little bit here. And Guy, I think you've laid out why you think that bonds could come back in vogue, despite the fact you think rates need to go higher. But that's a bit more nuanced, and we'll cover that later. And that's why we detailed that the bullish TLT trade in the options market on Friday afternoon in that market call. So check that out at the Risk Reversal Media YouTube page. And still, I think, very active or like that trade idea to me is in play here. But he said, you can add one more to the list. The 10-year T-note yields are diverging from the direction of nominal growth against the historical norm. The S&P 500 has to correct around 3,300 and the 10-year yield has to fall to around 3% to reestablish the ERP that is in sync with the historical averages. ERP, equity risk premium, representing the excess return of the risk-free rate, risk-free rate that investors expect to be taking on the incremental risk corrected to the equities markets. Now, if you're at home and that's not how you invest, that's fine. But understand, this is how many very large capital pools invest, and they do it in a quantitative fashion here. So Liz, talk to us because we we mentioned crude, we mentioned rates, we mentioned the dollar. These are all things that factor into the way trillions of dollars of, of equity risk is traded here, right? So talk to us about that and why this is important for our listeners, our viewers to pay attention to this a little bit. Well, first of all, the market is made up of people buying and selling stocks. So if there's a big subset of people out there who believe it needs to come down in order to look attractive again, they're going to start selling. The thing that's eerie about this note is that his statement about the S&P has to come down to 3,300. If you go back, and I've been keeping this number in mind, and I am I am not making, I want to be very clear, I'm not calling this as what the S&P needs to get to. But the eerie part about it is I talk a lot about 
corrections that are with a recession, right? Drawdowns that include a recession and drawdowns that do not include a recession. So a bear market that does not include a recession, usually somewhere between 20 and 25%. A bear market that includes a recession is beyond 30%. In fact, the average is about 44% drawdown. If you look at a 30% drawdown from the top in 2022, so 47.96, right? 30% drawdown from there is 33.57. So there's still something weird about that 3,300 S&P mark, that 3,300 to 3,400 S&P mark that makes people say that's where it would be attractive or that's where it would perhaps bottom out or that's where things look a little bit more normal given the environment that we're in. Again, I'm not saying that it needs to get there, but it is eerie. That's the same number he uses. A couple things, Dan. I hear the word eerie and immediately think <laughs> of the great movie, The Sting. You got moxie eerie. Get yourself a suit. That's a great scene, by the way. Do you remember that, Dan? Yeah, Paul Newman, Robert Redford, and the great Robert Shaw is one there of you I think go. it might be my favorite. It's actor. not it's not an on the tape podcast if Robert Shaw doesn't get a shout out. Oh boy. Right. So let me say this as well. So you mentioned that I thought there was a scenario where yields could go lower. And I think the scenario that Rosie laid out is that. And I think it's going to be predicated on a, a precipitous market decline. So again, if the market were to go start to head to levels that he suggested, what's going to wind up happening, I think, despite economic factors and conditions, the knee-jerk reaction will be some flight to quality in the perceived safety of the U.S. bond market, which makes yields go down. So that, to me, I'm sure there are other bull cases for the bond market. That's my main bull case for the bond market, if there is one. But that bull case for the bond market, again, is predicated on a pretty nasty equity market. And it's interesting because Liz just talked about corrections with or without recessions. And I think that's really interesting. And to me, because again, when we had the S&P down, where to get as low in October of last year, like 3550 or something like that. And at the time, the market was pricing in a near certainty of a recession in the next six months or so, right? And so that obviously didn't happen. And we can talk about what happened in March. It was added liquidity, you know, added to the system, if you will right in and around the regional banking crisis and it feel like it put it off but to your point about the cuts here the the thousand cuts and not a thousand yet it really is speaking to a weakening economy and maybe the stock market's starting to pay attention to it but bloomberg had an article why a recession is still likely that was this morning and coming soon and it says when everyone expects a soft landing brace for impact because the soft landing had become the consensus i mean fed chair powell we've talked about his performance at his pressers after the meetings over the last few months or so some were perceived better than others. I think for whatever reason, people thought he did a good job. They were talking about what really felt like a base case scenario or optimism about a safe landing. But that's when the stock market started selling off. For whatever reason, big money, Liz, weren't buying it. So to me, you could have the bottom in the stock market before a, a recession is confirmed. Is that a scenario that you think could happen over the next few quarters or so? Which to me, I, I, it also goes back to the S&P closed on Friday up 11.5% in the year. The NASDAQ is up 34 percent or so. We could have an S&P unchanged after a really bad year, and that could discount the oncoming recession. We have not had two consecutive down years in the S&P in a very long time. If you think about 2020, we didn't even close down. You have to go back to the financial crisis. We didn't, I think we only had one year down back in 2008 or so because we bottomed in 2009. So if that happened this year, I would say, fine, have at it, people. Start dollar cost averaging in the S&P below 3,500 or so. Right. And one of the things to remember is the market has never bottomed before the recession begins. The, the interesting part is it bottoms during the recession. We just don't really know it's there yet because, as you mentioned, it's not confirmed. The NBER, for whatever reason, is the 
the holy grail of telling us whether or not we've had a recession. Yes, I think it's very possible that the market goes down or has a, a more meaningful drawdown before we really say that we're decidedly in a recession. I think the biggest issue here is that because it's taken so long, people have gotten complacent with the recession call. Maybe not so complacent with market valuations. I think we can all sort of agree on that. And even the AAII surveys have now turned bearish again. So I think investors are a little bit more rational about that. I don't see this irrational exuberance of just buying hand over fist, things that are way overpriced. But we've gotten complacent with the recession call. And I think we've also forgotten that recessions are not a terrible thing, especially at a time where we know we're late cycle, things are overheated, inflation is still too high, valuations are still too high. We could use one, honestly, to get it back into Guy, balance. Guy a says bit. it all the time. It's the natural course. And if the Fed is just hell bent on making sure they don't exist, then we just keep kicking the can down the road, don't we, Guy? When I was a lad, there was a commercial for margarine. It's not wait nice on the radio to fool with Mother Nature. No, it was actually on the television. Okay, just on the black clear. and white. It's not nice to fool with Mother Nature, and that, to Elizabeth's point and your point is exactly what these geniuses have done now for the last, call it 40 years. They, for whatever reason, think that a recession is a four-letter word and they need to eradicate it from the business cycle or the economic cycle, when in essence, it's an essential part of the cycle. And by trying to remove it, they just prolong the inevitable. So back to you. Yeah. All right. Say so, hey, last thing here, there's no real earnings this week uh, of note, but I, I do think it's interesting that Tesla, as we speak, is down two, 3% or so on the opening here. They released their Q3 deliveries, which missed, I, I think the estimate was maybe 455,000 and they came in at 435. And I just want to make the point here. This is a company that the stock has had a huge run this year. It's up hundred percent on the year. It had a very bad year last year. I've made the point on many occasions, this company, the fundamentals, at least in the near term, are not good. And you could explain it away, whether it's this factory had to be retooled and was off there and this, that, and the other thing or whatever. Listen, their, their, their gross margins are expected to be down 25% year over year. Their gap earnings are expected to be down 20% year over year, despite the fact that their revenues are expected to be up 20% this year or so. And I just want to make the point, this is an $800 billion market cap company, has more market cap than all of the autos globally. When you see we talk about that term, the generals, and this has clearly been a general of the bull move over the last few years, despite last year's decline. The fundamentals are getting worse here. So to buy this stock at this valuation at eight times sales and 75 times earnings, you have to believe in full self-driving. You have to believe in AI, robots. You have to believe that their market share is going to continue to go up as they move towards a lower end sort of mass market vehicle at the same time where a lot of investors are super excited about this Cybertruck, which someday might come out, uh, maybe in Q4, the like here. Guy, thoughts here because we talk about it all the time. This stock and the value and its market cap and the enthusiasm around it really does feel like it's part of that small group. It obviously is a, is a huge part of that small group of stocks, which is keeping the stock market elevated, in my opinion. One of the pillars of the bull case, and there are a lot of pillars, but one of them is that last quarter we saw trough margins for Tesla. And I think they came in around 17.5%. And a lot of people said, okay, that's it. Start to see this reacceleration of margins. Now, it was this time last year where Tesla, when their margins were, I think, close to 24%, told the street, told investors that, hey, our margins are start to come in, but we're probably not going to get down to legacy automakers levels, which is about 16%. So 
I think the market interpreted that as high teens, 20%. And as I said, last quarter was 17 and a half. So to your point, if you start to see margins continue to deteriorate, that pillar is sort of knocked out. So 17 and a half to me is the bogey. That's the line in the sand. Anything south of that, and I think the stock gets whacked. Yeah, and just right before they reported earnings in mid-July, the stock ticked 300. It ticked as low as 101, I think, in January, and is now trading at 244 or something like that. But from that $300 print right before earnings, stock traded as low as 215 over the next month. So it's had a bit of a bounce here. Let's see if the folks, the cult followers come in and they buy this thing because it's not about auto gross margins anymore. It's about AI and, and bots and the like here. Liz, leave us with um, a positive thought here. Uh, we covered a lot of ground. None of it particularly, I don't know, optimistic, but it just doesn't feel that way when we think about the markets. And then you think about, again, going back to what we started with, the initial reaction is, woohoo, no government shutdown by the market. It's the first day of the month here, first day of the quarter. We had a pretty nasty last month of the quarter. What should some investors be optimistic about? I think I've used this one before, but I still really believe it. The positive part of this is that there's nobody, I feel like there's probably not many people in America now who haven't heard that inflation is high and that there could be a recession coming. And people are so much more engaged in their own investing that I'm willing to bet they're positioned more defensively than before and more defensively than maybe they would be if they weren't as engaged, right? So I think that this pullback and some of the trepidation, the nerves that are in the market is actually good for investors. It's good to see this. It's good that some of the complacency has left, exited stage left. And I think that hopefully people are still positioned in some of those defensive places, whether it be gold, cash, money markets, some treasury bonds. I think that's probably a better prepared investor base than what we dealt with in 2008, 2009. I'll end with a positive. Milwaukee Bucks have now have the two, arguably two of the top five basketball players in the league when they just added Damian Lillard to the roster to go along with Giannis. So I know Buck fans are looking forward to this campaign. And of course, tomorrow night at 7.08 p.m., the Diamondbacks of Arizona will be taking on the Brewers of Milwaukee. And I will tell you categorically that I will be rooting for the Milwaukee Brewers. Yes. Wisconsin's a great sports and, state. And then, Guy, I'm going to end with something positive that's going to happen at City Field next summer. And it's probably not going to be Mets baseball, okay? But I just got an email as we're doing this pod from the Foo Fighters that they're no. going to be at City Field on July 17th and July 19th. So I'm going to be there. Liz, you're going to be there with me. One of those okay. nights you're coming here, okay? I'm because happy to do that. that is a rock and I'm roll busy. show. I'm you're busy. busy. That, the, both of those <laughs> nights, you know. Um, you'll be watching the Mets because they're probably a away somewhere. You'll be watching them on no, the they TV. Might, they might actually be home. Nobody shows up for the <laughs> Met games. They'd probably do it the same They're going to play in the parking Let's lot. Let's play too. Um, all right, guys, we covered a lot of ground here. Liz will be back with Guy and me on Market Call on Thursday, so check that out. Follow us at our Risk Social Media YouTube page. You can follow Liz on the Twitter at Liz Young Strat. Guy is also there at Guy Adami. Guy and I, Guy's going to have an Instagram page really soon what? too. Yeah, he has a Pinterest page. I don't know if you knew that. It's blowing up. He's on Pinterest. He's going to be on I was, Instagram. I was, early, I was early on Pinterest. You were, yeah. you were like literally 10 years ago. And the page, I don't think it's changed much in 10 years. There's a picture of me. You know what? There should be a the picture pins. of Liz Young on it. You got you got Dan pinned to your Pinterest? Yeah, That no. was long before. Just, you know, those are, that was long before Elizabeth Young was even a thought in my head. I don't think we had met. 
10. It's actually longer than that, by the way. Can I, I tell you when it was, guy? It was November of 2013. And the reason I know this is that's when you and I both met Rick Heitzman of First Mark ah. Capital because he was the earliest investor in Pinterest. Ah. And Twitter had just gone public. And we had Rick on. And the Deco said, Rick, the next in, internet in stock to go public. And it was like Pinterest. So he was on to talk about that. And that's when Rick and Guy and I became fast friends after that. So he's been a huge supporter of us here at Risk Rehearsal Media. Also, investor, advisor, and the like, and a participant on our podcast. Also, a fellow alum of your fine alma mater. That would be Georgetown University. All right, guys, thank you. This was great. Thank you. All right, we'll see you all. Happy Monday. All right, see you later. Thanks again to our presenting sponsors, CME Group, iConnections, FactSet, and SoFi. If you like what you heard, make sure you hit follow and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show, and we also want to hear from you. Email us at contact at riskreversal.com. Derivatives are not suitable for all investors and involve the risk of losing more than the amount originally deposited and any profit you might have made. This communication is not a recommendation or offer to buy, sell, or retain any specific investment or service.